Hey, welcome in everybody to the flagship podcast. Joined as always um, by the managing editor of Horns Twenty Four Seven, the one and only Taylor Estes. I am Chip Brown. Taylor, how you doing? I'm good. I'm trying to stay inside right now with the weather. My goodness. So uh, I apologize if you can hear thunder and my door beeping throughout this podcast because it's the house is shaking right now. We bring the thunder on this. Bring the podcast. thunder, absolutely. I mean, I mean, today we are bringing the thunder. I think everyone uh, is going to love it. How about a conversation with Michael Griffin? I mean, 19th overall selection in the 2007 draft. One of the, one of the all-time great safeties at Texas, in my mind. Mm-hmm. And I, I think has a legit argument to defensive player of the decade from 2000 to 2009. I know, I mean, I'm friends with Derek Johnson. DJ, I'm just saying he's in the conversation. <laughs> he's in the conversation. He's not, you know, I'm not, I mean, well, you know. We'll, we'll, well, we'll talk to Griff about it. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny, Chip, because last week at Horns 24-7, we did kind of our, the all-time, you know, offense, defense players from 2000 and 2009 and 2010 to present. And I think you and I both picked Michael Griffin for our defensive one from 2000 and 2009. Did you not? Yep. I did. Yep. Yeah. Led the team in tackles in 05 and 06. And his, his twin brother, Marcus, led the team in tackles in 07. So, I mean, come on. Yeah. And then, you know, still has the school record for blocked kicks. You got to factor that in. Oh, yeah. Right. But let's get uh, we'll, we'll get to Michael Griffin here in a second. But it is NFL draft week. And Taylor, the look, Longhorns fans are, uh, you know, I'm reading the message board and I'm seeing, man, when are we going to be back in the first round? Because Texas hasn't been in the first round of the NFL draft for a while, especially when it comes to offensive players. I mean, Connor Williams got into the second round. That was that was significant because Texas offensive linemen hadn't been getting drafted. But this go round, you've got Devin Duvernay and Brandon Jones, probably in that order, going to be drafted. First among the Longhorns, but probably not until, you know, the fourth or fifth round. And yeah. and so, you know, for whatever reason, Texas still not being a real active player in the in the first and second round of the NFL draft. But I will say this. I want to get your thoughts on it, too. You're not going to find two better character guys really kind of across the board in this this uh, group of Longhorns who have a chance to have their name called when you think about Devin Duvernay, Brandon Jones, Malcolm Roach, Zach Shackelford, uh, Parker Brown, I think is a long shot, but those guys are all really good character guys and guys who could absolutely grind and, and make an, an NFL roster, even as a late or undrafted player. Right. And don't forget Colin Johnson in that mix too. And Colin, of course, Colin. Yeah. I mean, that is true, Chip. You know, one of the, you know, one thing that the NFL has had an issue with a lot have been character issues. And these are the type of guys that you want on your team if they can keep up, you know. Um, Brandon Jones, his story alone is just 
magnificent. He's one of, I, I think, one of the best kids that I've ever covered from recruiting on throughout their career at Texas. And there's been a lot of good ones. You know, I, I really enjoy covering Malik Jefferson and Deshaun Elliott and, you know, Colin Johnson. And um, But, you know, Brandon Jones was always one that stood out because of the adversity that he kind of went through with having his father pass away at a young age. And he was just always the kind of the, you know, he was a five-star, good kid, just everything that you would want from a student athlete. And I think that he can be somebody that any NFL organization, you know, will want on their team, especially if he can stay healthy and continue to progress. You know, he had some health issues in his career, and I think that definitely didn't help him. But, you know, him and him and Devin DuVernay, too, I think those are two guys that could have lengthy careers in the NFL um, if an organization gives them a chance. Yeah, I mean... Brandon Jones, I'll never forget how well he was playing in that Maryland game. And then he basically gets a horse collar uh, tackle going out of bounds and it messed up his ankle for the whole year. Mm -hmm. And it happened in the opener. I mean, and he was playing great in that game. He had a couple of goal line stands that allowed Texas to have a chance, uh, you know, to be in a one possession game late in the game. But that ankle required surgery after the season and now a shoulder injury. So you're right. That's the knock on Brandon Jones with Devin Duvernay. It's, Oh, we only have one good year of film. And, but to his credit, he played outside. He played inside. He's shown versatility in my gosh, when he went inside 106 catches, 1,386 yards, receiving both top five in FBS and and then Colin Johnson who's made big time catches in critical situations I mean go back to that USC game in LA when he laid out on fourth down uh, and it enabled Texas to throw another fourth down pass touchdown pass to our Monty Foreman and and on and on I mean Colin has so many third down catches and and big time catches. So, but he had the hamstring injury this year. He didn't have the senior year he wanted. And so he didn't run at the combine. There's the word is that he's, you know, not even a four, six guy. I'm sure he would have loved to answer those questions at the Texas pro day. But um, look, he's a big possession receiver who, who catches everything. Is he physical enough? Does he block consistently enough? Those are questions, but, um, and then Malcolm Roach, who was, I mean, by Tom Herman's own admission now was playing out of position in that four eye technique where he's taking on double teams and not really getting to show uh, his burst and and his athleticism. Now, the, I mean, he's probably a three technique defensive tackle in the NFL. And so, you know, he's got to show that he can he could beat double teams and still make a difference and and he didn't get to show that until late very late like Texas Tech late yeah so you know look you can make all the excuses you want but if you're one of these guys you just you just grind I mean you just set your mind and we'll ask Michael Griffin about this what you know what advice would he give to these guys because you know Griffin my god Griffin made over 42 million dollars in the NFL just salary. Not bad. Not that'll bad. work. Yeah, that'll work for sure. 
Yeah, and I, I agree with you, Chip. You know, I think we we can make excuses all we want. I know a lot of people would probably hear us this as us making excuses for them, but you know, in covering these guys for four years, we get to know a lot of their character, a lot of their work ethic, everything, and those are hard. And same with Zach Shackelford, hardworking. You know, not going to be complaining about being challenged type of players. And I'm I'm in, interested to see how they um they do career wise in the NFL. They may not be top, you know, draft picks, but I do I, I would imagine I would imagine Devin Duvernay and Brandon Jones would at least get drafted. Maybe Colin Johnson too, especially with his father's NFL bloodlines, um, with Johnny Johnson being a what, ten year veteran player in the NFL. So uh, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see kind of where they go, but where they go, I don't necessarily think is going to be um, really telling of how good they truly are just because of some of the uphill battles that they faced. But, you know, you and I can talk about this all we want, but let's bring in a professional to talk about what these players are up against in the NFL draft. So let's go to Michael Griffin. Join now here on the Horns 24-7 flagship podcast by the man I think has a legitimate claim to Defensive player of the decade for the golden decade of Texas football um, or golden decade of Texas athletics, I should say. The first decade of the 2000s, member of the 2005 national championship team uh, and three-time pro bowler with the Tennessee Titans, Michael Griffin. Griff, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Just doing a little bit of grocery shopping, but outside of that, I'm doing great. See, man, that's real life. It is real life. It is. I'm the only one that's designated to leave the house right now. So it's almost like it's a privilege, uh, you know, to get to leave the house. And you feel like you should be able to do it whenever you so please. Now, who designated you as the only one to leave the house? My wife. My wife uh-huh. feels like if something happens to me, it's OK because everybody else is taken <laughs> care of. And I, and I thought that I did enough of that earlier in my career playing football that I, I set them up for, you know, success. But she feels like it's okay now if I, if I was to get sick. And then, you know, they say the underlining issues, health issues, I had asthma growing up and she doesn't care. So, uh, yeah, that's, oh. that's me right now. That's me right now. So see, I, I don't think, I don't think I knew that you had asthma growing up. Um, so we learned something new about uh, Michael Griffin today. So oh, yeah. how, how, I mean, did you have an inhaler? How bad was it for you? Uh, growing up, it was bad. You know, when you're a kid, you don't really know what's going on. So uh, there was a couple of times, got rushed in the emergency room, couldn't breathe. Uh, uh, when I was young, fourth, fifth grade, um, sixth grade around that time. But as I got older, uh, you start understanding how to, you know, put your machine together and, and put the medication in it and do your own breathing treatments at night and stuff. So I remember nights that I'd be up and my mom and dad would come in and hear the machine going and be like, son, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, that go back to sleep because I just had, I was under control with it and had inhalers and things of that nature. I think what really got me over the hump was uh, got to University of Texas and playing in different at- atmospheres each and every week. Uh, you know, you'd be in Iowa or you'd be in you know, Missouri at the time when they were you, they were in the uh, conference or you go to Colorado, the altitude and things of that nature. So I think that was what um, pretty much trained my body to be able to adapt in, to different environments and then playing 
you know, 10 years in the NFL and things of that nature. So I think just naturally I, I was able to adjust. My body was able to adjust under certain, under different circumstances. Wow. That, I mean, getting rushed to the emergency room a couple of times will put, uh, put some fear in you, but that's, uh, that's an amazing ability by you to get over that and, and perform the way that you did because, I mean, I want to get into we're, – we're at NFL draft week, and I want to kind of go back through some of your pre-draft experience and, and what it meant to get um, selected by the Titans. But let's go back to that first – you know, when you were at Texas, and when I say something like – I think you – I mean, I've argued that you should be the player of the decade on defense. Now that decade, that, that's 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 a hard, that's a hard, that that's a. Woo, I, I know because I mean, we I tell people all the time, and and it's it's hard. I mean, you when you look at that team alone, and just look at all the guys that came through the University of Texas at that at that during that that, that time period. Um, Derek I mean, Johnson. It, Derek Johnson, Michael Huff, Cedric Griffin, Aaron Ross. Uh, I mean, you, you can't even knock out the fact that you had like guys like Marcus Tubbs and and Frank Ocam and Roger Wright and those guys up front. Tim Crowder, Brian Robinson, Brian Rack. You had those guys getting after the quarterback. So I know your um, cupcake partner, Rack. Exactly. Then you got you know Aaron Harris. If you go back to that national championship year, I think he played at an all-time high. I mean, you lost Derrick Johnson, but he stepped in and was the leader of us stopping the run. So it's it's that's 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 hard. I know it, that's... it's a lot of guys at that time that was just coming through there. It was like, hey, every pro day, every draft day, <laughs> it was like, how many guys are going to get drafted? Well, I look at the fact that you led the team in tackles. Um, and you were doing it on special teams too, blocking more kicks than anyone else. I mean, yeah, I still have it. I have the record still. Oh Eight. yeah. Uh, I thought, I thought Brandon Jones, he started out kind of hot, but then he, he showed <laughs> he could return kicks too. So, uh, thank God he can do a little bit of everything, but, uh, that, that record still stands right now. Oh, so, yeah. uh, it's, 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 I mean. But, I mean, again, you look at now the, the, these punt formations and things, I think it's a lot easier to block these punts now because, I mean, you these these punters now are trying to angle it and run a direction and everything else. I mean, if you come off that edge and you get a good jump on it, I think it's, it's a lot easier. I blocked three kicks in that same punt formation. Those are the easiest ones to block. <laughs> see, I mean, you'd have had double digits. Yeah, it's just that they try to – see, if you got to – I think what makes it easier is you got a punt returner like – you know, we had Nathan Basher and you had Aaron Ross. You had those guys back there, and then you got a punter who's scared to kick to them. And then you got guys just coming off that edge to go get that ball. I mean, it, it, it can become something. It can change a ball game around very quickly. A block punt can get you a touchdown, can, can get you great field position, anything in that in that matter. So I think if you, if you take that, that kicking game a little, that, that approach a little differently, I think it can – it can really get things swung around for, the, for for any program. See, I like that you're still that competitive, that you're still game planning and, you know, sizing up opportunities on the field. I love that. How old are you oh, now, I'm, Griff? I'm 35. Thank you for letting me show my age. Well, you're, you're a great dad. How many kids you got now? I got three kids. I, all three with oops. <laughs> Tell my wife that all the time. Oops, oops, and oops. All three oops. That's it. 
especially now that these kids don't have to go to school. Oh my goodness gracious! Oh, I mean, the worst ones. The worst ones are three year old. The one that just turned three last month. That's the worst one. It's because she's just she's on fire. She Terrible threes. Man, she, it ain't, it's not that she's like. She's just crying and whining. It's just you don't know what to expect from her. Like, you just don't know what she's going to give you. Like, my wife was on the phone with me when I was in the grocery store and said, I heard some kids outside talking and realized there wasn't no kids out talking. It was the baby girl outside talking about she's been looking for some sticks to bring back in the house to give to the dog. So, I mean, those are the things that she does. Oh, man. That is, uh, hey, fun age, though. Fun age. Oh, it's, it's definitely a fun age. It's a fun age. And the fact that the three-year-old can beat up a nine-year-old is even more Ooh. impressive, too. So hey. that's, that gets, There's your scholarship that, athlete right there, the three-year-old. Uh, but the, but see, I see the nine-year-old always beats up boys at school, and she's bigger than everybody. But the three-year-old just not scared of her. I mean, it's amazing to watch some of the their interactions and how they just go at it left and right. See, things are looking promising there in the Griffin household. And they're playing Let's what? They play, they're playing sports. Uh, the oldest, my 11 year old son is playing football. So he's, he's, he's playing football. Now he played tackle for the first time. And, uh, you know, at first, you know, he played flag and he thought of, you know, I told him, Hey, it's different when you're five on five and you get out there with 11 on 11, there's more people out there. You can't think you can outrun everybody to the outside. And, uh, he's not the biggest. He's built like a lot like me growing up, very skinny, but very fast. And, um, he, he got the hang of it sooner or later. I think the first day after after practice with pads on and his neck was sore, he didn't understand why. And he's like, I thought you're supposed to keep your head out of it. I'm like, listen, son, it's almost impossible to keep your head out of it. So, um, and then the little nicks and bruises of, you know, somebody step on your feet or step on your hand or, you know, you're wrapping up and somebody else come in and hit the player and they hit your hand in between. I told him, oh, it's, that's every every practice, every game. So he, he had to get over that that mindset that it's, uh, it, it's no longer uh, two-hand touch or pull a flag. But now it's, it's very competitive and, you know, size and speed doesn't matter anymore. It's about technique and, and the, the – the, the, um, the 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 mindset on you can get this done you can achieve whatever so he's getting through that my daughter the oldest one nine year old was playing soccer uh season got cut short because of this whole uh pandemic but um she's she's one of the top 2010 she plays oh nines but she's one of the top 2010 girls so she's nice. she's doing good we're just trying to get her over that that uh that mindset also of you know, she's she's been bigger than everybody for so long. And now as the kids are getting older, the footwork and things of that nature is taking over. So she's naturally has the size of just pushing people out the way. She's nine years old, 110 pounds, wears almost a 10 in women's shoes. But, you know, oh, yeah. the little the little, the little quick, the little fast, little short girls are just, you know, and she'll just run into them and she automatically <laughs> gets a foul because she's so much bigger than all of them. So. We, we, we're trying to work on all this. We're working on it. We well, got the baton right now. Hey, I know they're in good hands because um, I'm sitting here looking at the – not only did Michael Griffin lead the team in tackles in the national championship season in 05, but he led the team in tackles in 06. And then his his twin brother, Marcus, led the team in tackles in 07. So the Griffins were just dominating through, uh, well, you know what? We, we like to laugh at people because we like to tell all like the, the, the DBs now, especially University of Texas, 
we used to tell them that like we we were the we would that we were DBU because not only did we get you know turnovers and things of that nature, but we got all the tackles on D. I remember DJ used to get every tackle, and then when he left, it was like my turn. Like <laughs> I got to get every tackle, but. It was it was just something I took pride in, you know, and it just shows you just you just around the ball. You're hustling, you're getting to the ball. And uh and and again, that's just, you know, the more people that swarm to the ball, you know, the better, the more tackles or whatever people like to say as a safety, that's the worst thing. But that's how our defense was designed. We were a cover four team and we used to tell our put our corners out there on the island, tell Aaron Ross, Real Brown, Cedric Griffin, uh, Nathan Bash, hey, you're on the island by yourself. Our safeties are gonna help you know, Phil stopped the run. And we did a tremendous job stopping the run back in the day. Well, and you were, uh, you also had arguably the play of the game in the national championship with your interception of liner. Cause if they score there, they're going up, uh, you know, with a sizable lead, double digit lead and momentum. And that play was incredible. Yeah, I like the joke. I like the joke with Huff. I think I should have been the defense MVP. Right. I like to tell him that all the time. I told him I'm gonna go to his house one day and get a chainsaw or something and cut his trophy. <laughs> put the other put 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 it put it next to a mirror so it looks like you have the whole trophy. Right. This guy. Yeah. So, but uh, I mean, again, when you go back to that game, I mean, Huff made a tremendous play on recovering the fumble. Drew Kelson, I can remember running with Reggie Bush. Um, and it just goes on. Aaron Ross, I mean, he had an early fumble, but made some great plays, especially on Dwayne Jared on the bubble screen we kept seeing over and over again. Uh, Frank O'Kim, who's now a defensive line coach for the Carolina Panthers, I mean, he had two big sacks in that game. Um, so there's just a lot, of, a lot of guys, when you go back and watch that game again, you see when you say, like, possibly the best defensive player of that decade, I mean, there's a lot of guys that jump out, just especially in that game when you say that. You know, that that was probably one of the biggest games uh, of this of this era. Oh, no doubt about it. Um, and then you are the 19th uh, overall pick in the first round in 07 by the Tennessee Titans. What 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 was the craziest thing about the lead up to the draft? Uh, you remember back then the draft was one day. So, you know, you used to sit around all day. And I think it took six hours for me to get picked because at the time it was 20. 20 minutes per pick and uh remember i sat on the phone talking to the titans for like 19 <laughs> minutes and i was like okay but um i remember that morning i got up and i i went i mowed the lawn every, i mean i didn't start watching the draft right away because i knew it was like just you know do i, I want to see demarcus <laughs> russell get picked first I and mean, then we all knew he was going to get picked first and then followed by calvin johnson and um joe thomas and these guys but um Again, I mean, it was a it was a, it was a long day, uh, and I remember when I got drafted. I mean, I was surprised because, you know, it was just you 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 play and you work so hard for that for that dream to come true, and and it was finally there. Uh, I think the biggest thing was, you know, I went to visit Tennessee, and again, you know, you're from Texas, you go to Houston, you go to Dallas, Austin, whatever. You almost feel like you're going to a whole new state anyway, but. When I got drafted by Tennessee, I had to go back and look at the the, the map to see exactly where it is Tennessee. Because you know you you don't really you don't re- you know when you're in Texas you know you don't really pay attention to anything outside the state of Texas. I, I think we may have only had one maybe two players on our team at the time that was from the out of state. Uh, it was Casey Studdard, who was from Colorado, and um, 
I think we had might have been Lamar Houston. I think he was from Colorado area also yep. too. But uh, I don't think we had anybody else on our team that was from out. out. I mean, well, you had well, no, because Stevie Lee and uh and uh, Philip Geiger, they were both gone too, and they both were from Louisiana. So I don't think we had anybody on our team outside of those two guys that were from out, from from out the state. So you know, when you really think about it, I mean, there was there was you know. <laughs> You're going to draft in Tennessee. You're like, where? Okay. The only thing I know about Tennessee was University of Tennessee. But when I went to Nashville, I'm like, oh, okay. There was a kid that I played against in high school from Westlake that went to Vanderbilt to play baseball. So I was like, okay, well, this is the school he went to. And um, yeah, what'd you think of Nashville when you went up there? Um, it was different. It, a lot of people say it's a lot like awesome, which it is. It's getting there now. Uh, but it was kind of slow. Uh, and what I mean by that is, like, in, in Austin, everything was kind of fast. I felt like Tennessee was picking up. Things were a little bit behind. Uh, you know, people think Texas is country. Uh, I thought Tennessee was very country compared to us. Uh, because, you know, when you're inside the city of Austin or Dallas or Houston, you don't see horses or, you know, cattle right. or, you know, you don't see those type of things. And, and I think the biggest thing that got me was – and, and you know, I'm not on this whole political, you know, thing, whatever. But the Tennessee state flag, I was like, oh my god, they Confederate flags <laughs> everywhere. So it threw me off because I was just like, they're like, no, that's the Tennessee state flag. I said, I got a Confederate flag for a state. They're like, no, look at it, it's different. <laughs> oh, okay, gotcha. I had to. It just threw me off, and all I seen was the blue and the stars and the red flag. So a lot of teams just. You know, you're, you're 21, 22-year-old, I like to say kid. You're not a man. And you just you just got drafted in a whole new city. Um, the housing, the house, the houses of what they look like are a lot different. Um, the people were different. Um, and again, born, raised here in Austin, went to the University of Texas. It was like I've never experienced anything outside of Austin, Texas. And, and it was just a big, big, big learning experience, but it was a great experience at the same time. When you... Um, and what was the craziest thing you got asked, like at the combine or whatever? Um, you know, at the time it was a whole thing about the pit bulls because that whole Michael Vick situation was going on, oh, and wow. uh, that was—I remember it, in Cincinnati, you're not allowed to have pit bulls inside city limits. So a lot of people who did have pit bulls lived in Kansas City because you could just drive over the bridge. Uh, to go to work every day. So uh, I think at the time, Denver was another Denver was another uh, city or state. I don't know if it's state. I know it's city. You weren't allowed to have pit bulls. So uh, that was the biggest thing because a lot of people knew me for having pit bulls. And that was the biggest thing of questions. And, you know, it was, you know, that 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 stereotype of you have a pit bull because uh, you fight him or whatever it may be. And, and it's, and, and that was the, the craziest thing because it's like, we're not even talking about football no more, but we're talking about something that's, that has nothing to do with football. But I mean, I understand now when you look at, when you're about to invest your money into a player, you got to make sure that he's everything that you, that you're looking for when it comes to running a business and organization. Yeah, because you had you had pit bulls in college. I did. Yes, I and, got my first one my sophomore year. Yes. And did that change once you went to the NFL? No, I didn't at all. Not at all. Yeah. I mean, I still got it now. So not yeah. at all. I got a new one, four month old. I just bought from California. His name is Cash. So nice. didn't change at all. Cash. 
Yeah, cash. All right. It was we were we were coming trying to come. I mean, I had so many dogs in the past. Is trying to come up with names is like, and then you know people <laughs> with dogs. You don't want to copy names, so it was like it's got to be unique. Yeah, and it's crazy because my kids and my wife always names all the dogs. So I mean, we got you got Scooby, you got Lola, you got. <laughs> Uh, Charlie. Charlie's actually a, a, a girl named Charlie, and then we got Rose. I mean, we, we just—it's the names. We had Mowgli from the Jungle Book. We, we had them all. So I love yeah, it. we had Mowgli. So, well, how Kat. how is uh, how is your brother? How's Marcus? He's doing he's doing real good. You know, he works for Homeland Security, uh, the government. Um, Where? Him and his, he he lives in Dallas. Okay. So uh, we we you know we talk. We talk every so often. Um, he's busy. I'm busy myself. So, but I mean, we we pretty much relay messages through our mother because we both talk to her every day. So it's kind of like I don't really have to talk to you because I know my mom talked to you. So <laughs> if I ask her, hey, how's Marcus doing? Oh, I just got off the phone with him. He's doing X, Y, and Z, and he does the same. So I mean, we pretty much know what each other is doing twenty four seven. I love it. I love it. All right. So you look at Texas, and y'all were getting drafted left and right in the first decade of the of the 2000s. You were a first-round pick. Heck, Aaron Ross went one pick after you in the mm-hmm. first round in 2007. L- lately, Texas has not been in the first round. Do you, you know, you're doing great work for Longhorn Network. You're sizing up the, the talent. Do you see Texas getting closer to having guys in the first round? Because this year's draft, Brandon Jones, Devin Duvernay expected to, to lead the Longhorns, but probably not till the third or fourth round. Um, I mean, I think they're getting there. And what I mean by that is, uh, like, like Joseph Osai, he he has the tangibles of being a a, a dream player when it comes to on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, just watching him last year, he's able to rush the passer. He's able to drop back in in, in zone. Um, and he's all over the field. He's a great tackler. He's a guy that sells out on every play. So he, he's a guy that I can see that's in the making of being becoming a first rounder. Uh, a lot of the other guys are still young. Um, I, I'm very high on the Marvion Overshone. Is just trying to get him an opportunity to get, get on the field. He has the tangibles. I know he wanted to play safety last year. Uh, I, I advise him that. Listen, you know what? To be honest with you, it, it doesn't really matter where you play at. Just get on the field. You got a guy like I think his name is Isaiah Timmons, or I can't. I'm not for sure. Just coming out of uh, Clemson. Who's 6'4, yeah, 234 Isaiah Simmons. pounds? Isaiah Simmons. 6'4, 200, and, you know, some pounds, runs 4'3, vertical. I mean, he he tests out this world. And do you think he, he it, I just draft this guy because I don't know right. how he's going to play, but I'm going to figure <laughs> out where to put him out on the field. I mean, these are the type of guys that, you know, and I tell DeMarvin Overshawn, listen, you know, you're a guy that, you know, unfortunately, you came in, you was hurt, you was banged up a little bit. Then you ended up behind B.J. Foster and Caden Stearns, who was, I think, number one and two safety in the country, if I'm not mistaken. And, and you came in in the class with them. So you kind of, you know, get the oddball. And now you got to find somewhere to get on the field, let alone you still got B.J. Jones, who was the number one safety in the country that was already playing. And you had to, you know, compete with P.J. Locke and things of that nature. So I said, if it's me, I look on the field and I say, hey, where can I get on this field right now? I think ever since uh, you had Gary Johnson last year and then before that, 
you know, you had Jefferson, and I think from there they haven't found a solidified middle linebacker, a guy that pretty much dominated and got every tackle. So I'm like, hey, listen, Marvin, it, just get on the field. You know, you saw, I think, early in the season he got a great interception versus the first game they played, and then he made some great plays versus LSU, and then, you know, he got banged up a little bit and got back on the field. So you know he's a force to be reckoned with. Um, but he's a guy that I can see he has all the check the, 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 the he has everything you're looking for. He has the height. Uh, he can definitely put on some more weight. But again, he's a guy that if you just get him on the field, I think he could be a guy like Isaiah Simmons. Um, when you look at the wide receiver, I think. Uh, well, real quick on real quick on Overshawn. Do you like his mm-hmm. mental mental makeup, too? Oh, no, no question. I mean, he's he's a he's an enforcer. He's a guy like Kenny Vaccaro. He's a guy that when you when you watch like when I watch him play, I'm looking for like, okay, who's gonna get hit? <laughs> like who's gonna get this? Who's gonna get hit? That's what he does. He's a great tackler. He does all the things that you look for in the secondary. Um, you know, Caden Stearns, uh, you know, he it, I think what, what hurt him the most was, you know, his rookie year, he came out and put some great things on film. And then the second year, he got banged up and people was looking for that same player. And they was expecting him to take that next step. Um, B.J. Foster, again, we're, we're looking for him. We know, you know, he unfortunately had the neck injury. But, again, you, you know he's a hitter. You know he's a great tackler. But when, you, when you're starting to see when you put him in space, we want to see him make more plays on the ball. So, I think you got a lot of young guys. I think they put a lot of guys in, in position now with the coaching and stuff to teach them to be better play uh, ball players. Uh, Jameson, I think he he's just a, a great player. He needs to work on technique, but he, he reminds me a lot of Aaron Ross when it comes to just being a natural athlete, especially a guy that can just go get the ball. Um, but, you know, again, he has a long way to go. So there's a lot of young guys that I feel like, you know, they need to take that next jump next year to see where they be going. But right now, I think if you say who can definitely be a first-round pick, we'll probably be on side right now because he, he showed some great things last year, and I think he's just going to get better because he just has the mental capacity, he has the technique, um, and he, he's doing everything in, in, to make him that type of player. Yeah, that was exciting to see him in the Alamo Bowl, getting to play near the line of scrimmage and nine tackles, six tackles for loss, three sacks. That was I mean, it's just amazing because, you know, you, in the early in the season, they had him off the ball. And then you say, hey, listen, we're going to play against a team that wants to run the ball. That's fine. We're going to line you down on three-point stands. And we just watch him get after the quarterback and get after the run. So that's what I mean. That's the Swiss Army knife. That's a guy that, hey, we just got to put him on the field and we make things happen. So I think a guy like DeMar Brown, if you get you one or two, maybe three of those guys, you know, to, to pair up with DeMar Brown Overshawn, which is a lot like what we had back in the day, Drew Kelsey came in with us as a number one safety coming out of the country. I was even scared for a little bit, like, wow, this guy's coming in right at me. Did I make the wrong choice? <laughs> but he comes in. You know, I was able to beat him out to start over, but then the coach was like, we got to get this guy on the field. So he ended up becoming our Sam linebacker. We knew he can run with any tight end. We knew he can run with any running back. We knew he can blitz, he can tackle, and everything else. So, again, it's just getting on the field. And if you do that, I mean, great things happen. Uh Chris Obanai is another great example. A guy that came in as a wide receiver, managed to move around, go to the running back, end up playing in the league, playing fullback. So, again, it's just getting on the field. And if you can get on the field, things can happen. Jermichael Finley came as a wide receiver, which is that's why I, I really like that for uh, – I can't think of his name right now, but uh, he had a great – Oh, Epps. Epps. Epps, Epps, definitely Epps. I thought Epps always should have been a tight end. Uh, you know, he, he did some great things in the spring. Um, it just didn't translate when it came to, to, to the season. 
So, but again, I think Texas has been missing a tight end for a long time. Beck was great. I thought Beck helped out tremendously the season before when it came to third down. You know, if you couldn't get the ball to Jordan Humphreys, then Beck was another guy that you can get the ball to. I think now if you get Epps in there, a bigger, bigger, possibly more physical, if he gets the mindset right as a tight end. But again, he's a bigger target. I think that's somebody great for Sam. So if you can get all these playmakers on the field at the same time, Again, you can have a team like LSU had. I mean, literally, Joe Burrow, he, just throw it to anybody. Just throw it. Right. I mean, literally, you just throw it in the facility, and I guarantee somebody's going to come down with it. And I think that's what helped Joe Burrow take that next step when he was able to surround himself with a lot of guys, you know, and, and everybody was eating. I mean, and if everybody eats, we all get, get you know, do, do a great job. So uh, when you look at Texas, I think the thing is you're saying they're recruiting the right guys, the number one, number two guys across the country. But right now it's getting the coaches in place, which I think that's what Tom Herman took the next step. You know, he, he added some 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 guys to come in. Uh, I know coming from Rutgers uh, with, with the D.C., uh, we know they have a lot of guys that managed to may not have the best season or collectively as a team, but they're able to translate and go to the next level. Uh, you look at guys like Jason McCourty, Devin McCourty, both who just won Super Bowls last year, not just past year, but the year before with the um, with the Patriots. You have a guy like Logan Ryan, who's still a free agent, unfortunately, but he had over 100 and some tackles, four and a half sacks, four interceptions last year for the Tennessee Titans, and the list just goes on. So they they produce good defensive backs. So I think and they, they're very well technical sound. So you you got the athletes now. You can get that technique down. At, you, you should they should be able to make that jump next year, uh, especially next year going up. And, and again, the conference I don't feel like is as tough as it has been in the past. I know Baylor lost a lot of guys. Uh, you still got to look at the young quarterback Purdy from from Iowa State, but uh, and then Oklahoma right now we know they always manage somehow, some way to get some quarterback somewhere. But a guy like C.D. Lamb and Hollywood Brown just left. I mean. I think Texas should be able to go in there and compete with them. They lost their running back to Ohio State. So I think Texas should definitely be able to take over the, uh, the, the conference next year. What about my man Chris Brown at safety? I like Chris Brown. You know, Chris. the only thing about Chris Brown is, unfortunately, he gets lost in the shuffle. because, And I think now it may be better for him because you get a new coach that comes in. And, again, I feel like the, the opportunity for everybody is open because now I got a new defensive coordinator that doesn't know everybody. And he could come in and look around and say, okay, who's going to step up? The thing that I really hate is he has to go back off of last year's film. And Chris Brown did a lot of great things. Unfortunately, he got hurt. But, you know, he was hoping to get that spring ball where guys can step up and, and have that opportunity to showcase their skills and then go into training camp. Where, you know, with, if they got a lead going or if they're catching up on somebody's heels and things of that nature. But I like Chris, Chris Brown's game. I like it. The only thing I don't like is sometimes when – you know, he likes to go for the big hits and he likes to go low all the time. I don't like that too much. I, I, I think that's how he broke his forearm, just trying to go low all the time and shoot your gun, shooting at the legs. But, um, again, he, he's a guy, another guy that's just all over the place. He makes a lot of plays. So, um, you know, if Texas continue to do these, you know, multiple DB sets, um, I, I, I'm curious. They, they're saying they're not going to do it. I think they're going to go to the 4-3 next year. So if they are. I, I, I'm curious to see where Chris Brown will line up. Do I think he can play the nickelback position? I do think he can, especially on uh, rundowns. Um, he, he, he's a guy that's, that's you know, I think quick enough, fast enough to be able to play that position. But, again, I'm just curious on how they're going to move guys around with this new defensive coordinator because I know DeMarvion Overstone said he's willing to go down a linebacker. 
Uh, and, and with that being said, you know, is he a guy that you say, hey, I can keep him on the field like Derrick Johnson on all three downs? Or is he somebody that you may say hey, he's, a, he's a cover liability guy or do you take somebody else? So that's that's where it, 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 it's you don't like it because of what's going on right now because you don't really have a feel for what you have it going into the uh, next season. So hopefully everything dies down and you can get, you know, be able to carry away come August or July time with spring ball. But unfortunately, it just kind of knocks some things down. It, it kind of hurt a little bit, but well, I like Chris Brown. Let me, since uh, you mentioned Deshaun Jameson, I, I like your take on all the, uh, the DBs. What about Jalen Green? What did you what did you see from him last year? Jalen Green show, you know, he, he's a great type. He's a great type. He's a very physical guy. I think he sometimes he has to just settle down. Um, I think he is the best corner out of the bunch. I know he doesn't have the numbers like Jameson does. Uh, Jameson sometimes forgets that he is a corner. <laughs> he goes to being a wide receiver sometimes, and that's where you watch his technique. He, he kind of fades away from uh, – if you watch the TCU game, he kind of fades away from the receiver who catches a touchdown pass on him. But um, I, I think Jalen Green is the most technical, sound guy. Uh, I think he just has to play with more confidence. Um, again, it was his first year starting. Uh, he was the guy. He was the solidified starting corner, if you look at going into the season. Uh, but I think he just has to play with a little bit more confidence. He was a sophomore last year, a bit junior this year. So, again, I think he, he got his feet wet. He understands what he's going to be working with, what he's going to be dealing with going into next year. But I think he, he has a great upside. He has the size. He has the, the physical tools. He has the speed. He has everything you need. He just has to play with a little bit more confidence. All right. Overall, you lose Malcolm Roach. You lose Brandon Jones. Um, but you look at what's coming back on this defense with Joseph Osai, Keandre Coburn, Taquan Graham, Marquez Bimage, if, if we're talking 4-3. And, you know, DeMarvian Overshawn working at linebacker. I mean, when you look at that defense, that defense should be should be pretty stout, right? Maybe lead the conference. I mean, definitely. I mean, and the thing is, what we got to understand is this. As a defense, there's only one, one stat that really matters, and points. that's points. 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 In the Big 12, you're going to give up 300, 400, 500 yards. That doesn't matter. It's the points that matter. If I'm giving up 17, 18, 21 points, with Sam at quarterback, I should win every game, just to be 100% honest with you. Yep. That's like playing with Vince Young. At the time, our defense, we gave up a lot of yards. Don't get me wrong. We gave up big plays. We did. But we didn't give up points. And we knew Vince, can, we, our offense averaged somewhere like 40-something, 50 points. Like, we knew our offense would get, would get points. So I go back to, we played Oklahoma State, and we gave up, I think the score was 28-7 or 35-7 in the first half. But we knew we can score those points. That's no problem. Let's just keep them from scoring. All offense to take care of the rest. And I think we returned a punt return for a touchdown, interception return for a touchdown. Vince was scoring at will. I mean, but that's the thing. You know, when you have all those guys, I think Coburn turned it on tremendously towards the end of the season. I think he started getting in the groove, and I like what he started doing. He was a guy that hustled. I think it was a play versus TCU where the play should have went for big, and there's a lot of missed tackles, and to see a guy 300-something pounds running down running down and get, finish the tackle off, that's what you want to see. You want to see guys with a motor like that. Early in the season, I, I tell Cole and myself, he stayed on the ground. It's For some reason, this guy stayed on the ground. And I don't mean positive that he was getting tackled. <laughs> it was just like 
ball snap, he had no clue, and he was getting knocked to the ground. But towards the end of the season, when you watched him, I mean, he he started doing a lot of great things. And I start, you know, again, he's another guy, young guy that's gonna think he's a redshirt freshman last year. So he's another guy that's gonna have opportunity to play do this for another three years. He's gonna get better each and every year. So when you look at this defense again, you, you, the, the thing that you say is one is, hey, this defense was very young. They lost, if I'm not mistaken, nine, nine out of out of eleven starters from the season before. Right. But now you say, okay. Things didn't go so well, and they had a lot of injuries. Now this year, you're going to do defensive coordinator. Yes, you're going to say, well, again, the offensive coordinators in the Big 12 have to have to study and figure out what this defensive coordinator is going to do. Because, yes, this is first year. And when the first year comes, you look like an all-star because nobody's trying, nobody has figured you out. That's just honest. No one has figured you out. It's an advantage. It's an advantage. But now can you be consistent? That's going to be the thing. And the thing really is going to be is, can Texas be consistent? And I think the biggest test, especially with a short amount of time, is playing against LSU week two down in LSU. That's going to be the big test to see where this team is really at. And I think from there. And I think last year, Texas played with LSU. They showed glimpses throughout the season on how good they can be. But they just could never put it together. They can never stack games on top of each other. It will be one good game here, then they will have a bad game here. And then the biggest thing I saw with the team is either the defense had a great game, the offense didn't, or the offense had a great yeah. game, and the defense did, or the special teams. They could never just piece this together and all of it. And even with Sam, you started, you know, normally you see Sam as that hard warrior. I saw towards the end when he was getting hit a lot and getting sacked a lot. You can see the expression on his face. And I think the, the team, unfortunately, I hate to say it, the team goes through Sam. It just does. The team plays how Sam plays. And as Sam is fired up and going, the team is fired up and going. If Sam gets a little discouraged or wherever it may be, that's how the team operates and that's how they play. So that's 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 the biggest thing that I, I notice, especially with this team, is that you know you got to have that leader, that vocal, emotional leader, and that guy that everybody respects. And that falls all on Sam's shoulders. Well, I uh, I always love getting your perspective, man, because you you've always had a, a three dimensional look at everything, and just stayed so hungry and humble the whole time. And no matter you know going to Pro Bowls, second contract, the whole deal. What advice, Michael? Before we let you go, and I know you got a, a lot of stuff going on. Uh, what advice would you give to to Brandon Jones and and Devin Duvernay and and the guys Malcolm Roach who hope to hear their name uh, and if not hear their name go to camp with someone. What what advice would you give them? Uh, you know it's, it's all or nothing. But what I mean by that is you got to gain the respect of your teammates and, and gain the respect of your teammates is not being the the loud mouth guy. It's showing on the field who you are and what you're about. And I think that's the biggest thing. That you know, you know, it, it doesn't matter where your name gets called. I mean, you look at um Puna, Puna right now with Seattle. I mean, yep. they got rid of a lot of guys for Puna. Puna's about to get his money. He may not got his money early, but he's about to get his money. Guarantee he's gonna get his money. Um, but he was a guy that's very quiet. I mean, I've been around my actually went back to school, had class for him. And it was funny because he would never say a word. He was just always laughing and giggling. I always just be joking with him and saying, dude, you're the shortest little guy. Like, what the, 
you a D tackle for who? Texas. And I used to always joke on 24 7. Then when I asked her, I said, who, who the baddest defensive tackle? I said, oh, Puna, he's. I said, who, him? <laughs> I said, you're lying. He's like, no, nah, he, I'm, I'm telling you, Puna's a dog. I'm like, no, he's not. He's too quiet. I'm like, no, Puna is a dog. Like, I'm telling you. And watching him play, and I was like, dude, this guy can really play. But that's the respect that he gained from all the teammates and all his peers and his coaches and everybody else because he didn't have to say much. We all just knew actions. when you cut that when you cut that film on, you knew what he was gonna do. And you know, Brandon Jones, Devin Duvernay, they're gonna get opportunities. They're gonna get opportunities. Brandon Jones, you know, last year didn't go the way you wanted to go, and the year before you hurt your ankle. Um, but the thing that I know is just when you turn that film on, you know Brandon Jones can return a kick. You know Brandon Jones is great on special teams. You know Brandon Jones is going to get up, make the play. And I mean, one thing I tell you, and I tell everybody, I don't get it. He will make a play, does not celebrate. He jogs right back to the hole. Every play. You, you can ask, tell me right now, you can. I ask you right now, have you ever seen Brandon Jones <laughs> celebrate and do anything that say all eyes on me? Have you ever seen anything no. in that nature? Nope. I've never seen it either. He, he will make the play and he will jog right back. And every play, it's funny. He will jog. He missed a tackle. He gets right up. He jogs right back. And I'm like, dude, this dude, has, is this like an automatic, <laughs> like, I don't get it. But the thing is, you watch him, you say, okay, you know what? This guy right here, I don't, Devin Duvernay, I don't think I ever hear him say too much either. Right. I've never seen him do nothing, flex, show his muscles, do anything. He scores a touchdown, he goes right back and do what he does. And that's the thing that these guys, those are the type of guys you want on your team. I even say, Devin Duvernay was a guy that stayed on the outside, played the X and played the Y, and then they put him in the slot. And I told going into the season, Devin Duvernay's going to have a great season. That's why you say that, because he's a quick, fast guy. That's the a guy that fast that has any direction he can go, left or right from the slot. That's, and, you know, he can play special teams, too. I think he's strong enough, he's tough enough, and he has the mentality. He can cover kicks and do a lot of great things. So their name's going to get called. But the way he's staying there is being willing and motivated and stay humble and remember everything you did to get there. All the adversity they went through from coaching changes to, you know, injuries. having up and down years, injuries, all that, everything you've been through. You know, Devin Duvernay they started out, you know, committed to Baylor, you know, and that happened. So he had to change his commitment. Then he got a new co head coach at Texas. and All those things happened for him. So you, you, you know how to stand the course. Stay quiet. Do what you got to do to get to where you're trying to get to. And that's what he did the entire time. You know, and, and what happened in college happened in college. Now it's a new chapter that's just ready to start. So, you know, it's another opportunity. You see guys that were first rounders that got drafted on me, like uh, Jamarcus Russell, <laughs> didn't make it. And then you got guys like myself or Eric Weddle or guys that was drafted later, like, you know, Ted Ginn is still playing. There's a lot of guys, uh, Adrian Peterson. Those guys continuously did what they did to get to where they wanted to get to. And they get to have a long career. So, um, you know, prime example for safety that got drafted late, Anton Pathena. He's still playing with the New York Giants. He got in the lead before me and still in the lead after me. So, again, it, it doesn't matter what matter where you start, it's about where you finish. Um, and and they they got prime, all of them. You're gonna have an opportunity. You just going to the University of Texas, you're gonna have an opportunity, but it's what do you do with that opportunity? 
when you get there, do you want to hang out with all the guys that already made it? Or do you want to just stay quiet and stay hungry and do everything you need to do to make the team? Well, so that is fantastic advice uh, from a guy who uh, cleaned up in the league but earned every cent of it, Michael Griffin. And Griff, just real quick, the cupcake business, how, how's all your enterprises going? Uh, we're, we're closed right now, but we, we, you know, it's crazy. Everywhere you go, people keep asking, hey, I, I, you know, I'm at home, got nothing to do. Is there any way y'all can open up? So we, we're, we're, but right now we're planning to open up in the near future. So uh, we're, we're getting things cool. We're calling all our employees back and seeing what the availability and things of that nature is. And we're about to get back, open up, and get things cleaned up and uh, going again. And don't we have a television show based on you guys coming out? Everything got pulled, you know, this whole COVID-19, everything got kind of slowed down a little bit. So uh, we, 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 it's going to come. It's okay. going to come. We, all right. Don't get it back. I'll check back with you. Michael, all you're right. the you're the best, man. Thanks for all the stories. Always great conversation. And uh, be well. Take care of the family. And we'll talk soon. All right. Thank you. All right. There he is. Michael Griffin and the flagship podcast rolls on. Great stuff with Michael Griffin there. And Chip, you know, before we sign off here, I think our listeners will be very interested to hear what the latest is going on with the athletic directors and the decision makers in college athletics pertaining to the upcoming 2020 football season, if it's going to start on time, when it's going to start, whatever is going on, Chip, what's the latest going on with that? Yeah, and, um, you know, the the news that Brian Harson and, in the Boise State, at any and you know they have varying furloughs for the amount of money that you that you earn. But Brian Harson, the head coach of the Boise State um, football team, who of course was the offensive coordinator at Texas, is is part of those furloughs. And I've said all along, the group of five, the non-power five schools, are going to feel this much faster uh, and much deeper than than the Power Five schools because of the disparity in television revenue that the Power Five schools, the advantage that they have uh, in the amount of television revenue that they receive. You know, Texas uh, gets, you know, upwards of $50 million per year when you factor in the 38 to $40 million they get from the conference and then stack the it's not 15 million, but it's an average of 15 million that they get from the Longhorn Network. It's really around 11 million right now, and and then you take a team like Boise that is generating three million dollars total in their you know their television revenue, and if they don't have football, it's going to be uh, catastrophic. It's going to be it's going to be catastrophic. That's the right word. For the, for the group of five schools, and even for some power five schools. We've already seen Iowa State make cuts. Their whole athletic department, their coaches, are all taking a 10% pay cut right now during the, uh, during the pandemic to avoid going into their reserves. So, I mean, that's a power five school. So, um, you know, what they're thinking right now, there's no question that, that the athletic directors are coming up with every scenario to be able to play a football season, whether it's it, whether the season and, and this is going to 
be tricky, Taylor, because you really cannot have the the season span two semesters. It, right. It's it's got to be in the fall semester or it's got to be in the spring semester. So if this thing drags out to the point where you cannot have a 12-game schedule in 2020, don't be surprised if this gets pushed to January or February uh, t- so that they can get a full 12-game season in. Now, there are definitely recommendations being talked about. Everything's being talked about. But there are some who are saying, well, we could just play conference games. Well, some some conferences don't play nine conference games like, like Texas does. Yeah, the SEC it, doesn't. Right. The SEC only plays eight. Mm-hmm. So they... You know, this is this is why Tom Herman always talks about we've got to get uh, the scheduling, the conference scheduling, consistent across the board. Everybody's everybody needs to be playing nine conference games, um, which is easier said than done in those fourteen team leagues. But nonetheless, uh, it is possible, and and so that's that's really where we are. I mean, the athletic directors are hell bent uh, to get. A football season in even if it means playing it in January uh, or February and on into March and April which would mean a second two seasons two 12 game seasons in one year and that's going to raise a lot of alarms about player safety and and then the question becomes how much time do you have to mandate between those two seasons um, most of the people, and I'm going to address this in the eyes of Texas this week, um, are saying three months. You know, right now players get five months, but for player safety purposes, they feel like three months um, would allow the body, you know, to recover from the season, and and then you'd have a, a tapered down version of the off season to allow the the bodies to heal and then and then you get back into fall camp and god willing we get back to a normal schedule yeah what what about the i know a lot of people have been throwing around the idea about playing games without fans in attendance is that something that's real do you think i mean it is but it that's the last thing that the athletic directors want i mean they they want to they would be willing to push it say they got the green light to play games without fans starting in um, October or November, they would probably push it to the next semester so that they could have fans because the the revenue from not only the season tickets, but the contributions for the season tickets. As we, as we know, the top football programs in the country charge folks to be able to renew their season tickets. They have to make a, a minimum contribution. Well, that contribution at Texas totals $43 million. Wow. And that's substantial. I mean, when you're talking about a $150 million program, that's a third, right. roughly. And so, you know, then you factor in the season tickets themselves and then the concessions, the gate, that all totals over $80 million. So for, for college football, they need fans in the stadium to be able to to 
earn the kind of money that they are going to need to pay all their bills. Let's put it that way. So it's it, it, they want fans in the stands because if they have to refund those season ticket contributions or or there is no season ticket revenue, like I said, you're talking about eighty million of a hundred and fifty million dollars in revenue disappearing. That that's going to cause unbelievable uh, changes in the college athletic world uh, at each school. You're going to see massive cuts of men's programs uh, to basically strip it down to, you know, the Title IX requirement of, okay, what are our what are our female sports that add up to 85 scholarships. That's all you're going to have. And I mean, that's scary when you think about all those programs at Texas that have been so successful. Now, Texas has a deeper reserve than most. Um, I'm told it's 50 to 75 million at any given time. And Chris Del Conte is an amazing fundraiser. He's already raised $292 million um, in what, since 17 yeah, I mean that's it's that's why that's why they're able to do all these you know facility renovations at once, and and so Texas has has that has his fundraising ability. I mean, and then I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but when you compare and contrast that to Steve Patterson, I mean Texas fans should be just thanking their lucky stars that in this pandemic they got one of the best fundraisers out there. So. Um, yeah, they definitely want to play games with fans. Okay. I mean, it would seem weird. College football is all about the fan experience. To be covering a game within an empty stadium would be so weird, right? Right, right, right. Well, every week I say this. we got the smartest people in the world working on this. It, we've got to, we got to come up with something that allows, uh, allows us to get back to normal with, with everyone's health at the forefront. Um, but until then, uh, we just keep saying, uh, stay safe, keep the faith and keep reading at horns 24 seven, where, I mean, we've got, you know, special after special, we want to help you, you know, while away this time with your favorite team and the staff that loves covering uh, the longhorns and has the best sources covering the Longhorns and covering college football so that you're always in the know on the latest, whether it's where college athletics is going with the coronavirus um, or the latest with the Longhorns. So uh, for Taylor Estes, Taylor Estes, who makes this operation run uh, and is the mastermind architect, engineer, (laughs) Yeah, and the flagship podcast. Oh, go on, right? Oh, go on. Oh, go on. Okay, keep going. <laughs> um, and uh, happy birthday to your husband, Ty. Oh, thank you. I'll tell or I'll have him listen for sure. So he, he knows that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. Hey, everybody, stay safe. Keep the faith. And until next week, and thanks to big thanks to Michael Griffin. That was awesome. Um, stay safe. Keep the faith. And we'll talk to you next week right here on the Flagship Podcast.